Hey, this is Homer Hargrove. I'm the pastor of Grape Top Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for connecting with our family today, and I hope this message inspires you and that it makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. Online, we're so glad you could be a part. This is Grape Top Church. I'm your host, Homer Hargrove. Today, we are continuing our series, Easy Mistakes. And this is part seven of our series. It's been more of a summer series rather than a month series. And we've been learning a lot about the different people of the Bible. And, um, and really about, uh, I feel like a lot of times when we look at the mistakes of others in Scripture, we just separate ourselves from them so much. We're like, oh, I would never do that. Um, and throughout this series, we've been learning how so closely we relate to these easy mistakes. That they're not just... Um, these people aren't just huge mess-ups that make this giant mistake, but that they are so much like us, but we, uh, we rationalize and think so much of ourselves that we would never do that. And um, today we are going to be looking at this, uh, the person Elisha. Elisha is, uh, is after Elijah. There's two sounding names. Elijah is J-A-H. Elisha is S-H-A. And the way that I remember who was the second uh, prophet is S always comes after J in the alphabet. And so so it is with Elisha and Elijah. <laughs> um, so that's just for free. That's just to help you. Um, but Elisha is one of the most well-known prophets in Scripture. And we're going to uh, we're going to really just take off in the very uh really when the mantle falls upon Elisha. There's a, there's a scene that happens where Elijah calls Elisha and becomes his mentor. And there comes a day where Elijah has been told by the Holy Spirit that he's going to be taken up to heaven. And Elisha follows him all the way to the, uh, to the point um, where this is going to happen and refuses to leave him even though Elijah said, go, go on with yourself. This is the end of my journey. And Elisha said, I'm going to follow you all the way to the end. And at this part, um, when uh, right after they cross the Jordan, this is the scene that we see. And um, it's starting our first point in the, in the mistake of questioning my calling. Questioning my calling. We often question our calling even when it slaps us in the face. We often question question our abilities, our purpose, our calling, even when it slaps us in the face. When they came to the other side, Elijah and Elisha, uh, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what I can do for you before I'm taken away. And Elisha replied, please let me inherit a double share of your spirit and become your successor. You've asked a difficult thing, Elijah replied. If you see me when I am taken from you, then you will get your request. But if not, then you won't. As they were walking along and talking, suddenly a chariot of fire appeared, drawn by horses of fire. It drove between the two men, separating them, and Elijah was carried away by a whirlwind into heaven. Elisha saw it and cried out, My father, my father, I see the chariots and the charioteers of Israel. And as they disappeared from sight, Elisha tore his clothes in distress. Elisha picked up Elijah's cloak, 
which had fallen when he was taken up. Then Elisha returned to the bank of the Jordan River. He struck the water when Elijah's cloak, with Elijah's cloak and cried out, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? Then the river divided, and Elisha went across. So at this moment in Scripture, we see this, this really miraculous event that seems so peculiar, and it's very rare when we, even in Scripture, to see something like this. But what is significant is this last part where it says Elijah, Elisha took Elijah's cloak. A cloak was, um, was equivalent to like a doctor's coat. When a doctor wears a coat, you know that that's a doctor. Well, for Elijah, his cloak was his mantle. It was like his position. It signified who he was. And so when he took it, one, it was left for him. Uh, two, when he, uh, when he took it, it, he was taking that mantle upon himself. He was, he was like the first step of taking on the position of his predecessor. And what's most interesting is that when they first crossed the river, Elijah, his mentor, uh, folded up his cloak in this way and struck the river and it divided, uh, just like what we see here. And so we see Elijah, Elisha try to do the same thing. He tries to imitate what he saw his mentor do. And, uh, and when it didn't happen, he's all in distress. His big scene just happened. He, he's emotional. His uh, mentor that he's been following for years just was taken from him. And he still is perplexed of whether God is going to be with him too. And so he cries out after it doesn't work and says, where is the God of Elijah? And then it parts. It shows us that the, the, the power of God was with Elisha, not in anything material. There wasn't a special thing about this, this cloak. And it's important to note that because even in our Christian world, we, we consistently try to use created things to access the power of God. And even in this scene, we see that it had nothing to do with the cloak. It had everything to do with the power of God within the person. And the reason that we're looking at, at Elisha in this way is because this dude literally saw exactly what he was told he would see if he was going to receive this double portion. And he still is like, where's God? <laughs> Like he just saw chariots of fire. Like he, this miraculous event was witnessed right in front of him. And he's still like, God, where are you? Are you really with me? And in the same way that he doubted his anointing and his answered prayers, he trusted and saw his mentor's miracles and actions. And he trusted more of his mentor's calling than his own calling. He trusted his mentor's ability, even his mentor's belongings, more than he trusted his ability, his, his receiving the power. And even when we have these big dreams and aspirations within us, we often let our insecurities convince us out of what we clearly know and see. It's this like mentality of, well, they can, but I can't. And it's similar to a fear of failure, but it's more so clearly seen as a doubt of worthiness. Elisha indeed finds his confidence after this moment. He does, in fact, perform twice as many miracles as his predecessor. Now, when you try to look up uh, how many miracles, so -so, there's different studies. Some say uh, it's, it was eight for Elijah 
and 16 for Elisha. Then you'll, you can find another article that will say uh, Elijah did 16 miracles while Elisha did 32. And so you're really splitting hairs. At the end of the day, he did twice as many miracles as his predecessor. He received exactly what his mentor told him he would receive if he saw those chariots. And what, uh, aside from all of this, we clearly see things in our lives sometimes. Sometimes it, it literally slaps us in the face and we ask, did that really happen? It, am I really called? It, it's like the, the, even a classic scenario as a parent. We, I think most parents doubt their worthiness of being a parent at some point. And it's like you have kids and you're like, am I good enough to be a mother or father? It's like, well, you do have kids. Like, <laughs> you, you, you're good enough. You're, you're a parent now. It doesn't mean every parent is perfect. A lot of us have had traumatic experiences from our parents. But when it comes down to you and the thought of being worthy to be a parent, it, it's slapping you in the face. And all of these, these, when it comes to our dreams and our aspirations, you, you're, most of you are even told that you're really good at this thing. You, you get complimented and, and almost like confirmed in this calling of yours or in this direction of yours. But then in that quiet place and in, inside your soul, you still doubt it. You still let your insecurities convince you that you're not worthy, that you're not good enough. And you're crying out, God, why won't you just show me if this is what I'm supposed to do? And he's like, dog, I told you like 10 times. <laughs> I told you multiple times. You're good. Just keep like go. And when we have these clear passions, these clear callings, these clear confirmations, we still doubt that God is with us even when we clearly see his sovereignty and plans. It's almost like some of our situations were set up. You shouldn't even be in your position you, you shouldn't even have that job. You shouldn't even be with that person. And yet you're, you're there and you're like, oh, I shouldn't be here. It, you've seen the chariots of fire. You saw it. It all worked out. What you prayed for and asked for was answered. And now that it's there, you're like, this isn't supposed to be mine. I'm not supposed to be here. Elisha saw the chariots. But he tried to trust and copy what he saw others do instead of simply walking in his own identity and calling. That's another thing that we often do is that one, because we are so new to our calling, when we actually step into it, we try to just copy what we've seen others do. Even, even when we knew that that was a bad idea, even when we had a gut feeling like we shouldn't do it that way, we do it anyway the wrong way because we saw others do it. Sometimes you really just need to allow yourself to be confident for a moment. Allow yourself to be independent and find your way to do that thing. It, even like for this church, for being a pastor, man, I, I feel like the first couple years we were uh, our, our, as a church and me as a pastor, I was like, man, I feel bad for the people the first year. <laughs> Crystal's like, um, it's okay. This <laughs> I, I realized that there's so many things that I tried to just copy what I saw others do that I just thought it was the right way until I realized that it doesn't have to be that way. You have to just own your calling, allow it to be yours. And in that moment, when you truly just allow yourself to be independent of what others think or what others do, 
you'll be so much more successful and so much more happier doing what you're doing. And that goes from career choices to your relationship with God, being a parent, being a spouse. I mean, you could truly, you have so much liberty in how you live. Don't hold on the, the customs of others. Find what works for you. And all this to say, I want, I want to end this point on, on reminding us that God's power is not in the created items of this world. There is no special power uh, or special method to where we get so superstitious with even like with our career choices, we get superstitious with things like, oh, if I don't do this before a call, if I don't do this before a sale, like it's not going to work. And we start, we, we create all of these like superstitions in our head and we consistently go to these, this, this basis of trusting in created things instead of trusting in our creator. And we, we are not bound to the people of this world. We're not bound to the things of this world. And, and even when it comes to our relationship with God in prayer, God does not only work through special people. A lot of times we think that our prayers are so invalid or impotent. And, and so we never try to practice our prayer. We just go to other people. And there's, there's so much power in owning your faith and owning your prayers, owning your relationship to God to where your trust is not in the pastor or a special guest speaker or anything like that, that your, your trust is truly in the power of God. I, I remember in, when I was uh, a youth pastor at a real church, right? <laughs> not our, you know, grave top church, our, our underground realm. I remember every time there'd be like a special guest, like prophet so-and-so. It's like, oh, wow, like they must be legit. I want, I want them to pray for me because I've never met them before, but they must be, they must be special because they're speaking today. I mean, they have a microphone. And we, we literally put our trust in those people. And I remember when I would behave like that or think like that, nothing significant would ever happen. I was like, God, like, are you, like, why didn't you have them tell me my life's purpose or have them say, like, the, the coolest thing that would make me passionate when they would pray for me? And I remember even a moment where uh, I went up to the altar for this, like, big prophet person that, that was praying, come up to the altar, we're going to pray for you. And I went up, like, crying, like, God, I just want you to, to speak to me in this moment and give me direction in my life. I was so young. And like really wanted confirmation of the path God was choosing for me. And I wanted to just know something or hear something special, right? And I remember there's this huge line of all these other young people. And I was kind of like eavesdropping at other people's, you know, prophetic word. And it sounded so cool. It was like, just like, and God's going to use you to go to the nations and the world will know you. And I was like, oh, shoot, like, hopefully I get something, you know, something like that. <laughs> And then they would get to me, and it was just like this awkward, like, suspenseful pause. And the guy was like, fire of God. And then moved on. I was like, what the hell? Like, who do you think you are? And I remember I was like, why didn't you say anything, God? Like, what? you didn't talk to him to tell me. And it took me a while to realize that the Holy Spirit was saying, I'll talk to you directly. You don't need somebody else to speak to you. 
And I had to develop a conviction of knowing that God will speak to me. That I don't have to trust in man or anything created that I can trust in the creator himself. So when it comes to your calling, your confirmation, your purpose, your anointing, your, your flow, whatever it is, I urge you to trust in God for your, as your source rather than any person of position, any person of spiritual leadership. Y'all dig what I'm saying? And with that being said, I want us to go to our, our next idea, and that's ignorant of my impact. Ignorant of my impact. You leave a big impact even if you think little of yourself. You leave a big impact even if you think little of yourself. Let's, let's look at Elisha. It says, Elisha left Jericho and went up to Bethel. This is right after he does his first miracle. As he was walking along the road, a group of boys from the town began mocking and making fun of him. Go away, Baldy, they chanted. Go away, Baldy. That's messed up, right? Elisha turned around and looked at them, and he cursed them in the name of the Lord. Then two bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of them. <laughs> this is the most peculiar scenario, this, this story. And I remember for years thinking, like, this is a, like crazy. And I was like, man, you never want to make fun of a pastor then. <laughs> and what, what is most interesting that it doesn't show Elisha's reaction. What we do see is that he never does something like that again. As, as a person of God, I would assume that at this moment, he realized how powerful his words were. This is the first time that he's the lead prophet of Israel. And he had yet to take in his role and his position as serious as he should. To where other people could say, talk trash back and, and flick people off on the highway. But when Elisha did it, something bad would happen. Because he carried an anointing with him. He carried the power of God with him. To where when he would say something, it would happen. And I want us to take a step back and realize that Elisha... It's really hard to find mistakes of some people in the Bible, but this was a huge mistake because Elisha, still very new to this position, did not fully grasp, grasp the weight of the position, the weight of his calling. Anyone could have responded the way that he did, and many probably have, but when he did it, this, his gifting and his calling caused needless death because he thought little of himself and his words. We see this, that, that trend of insecurity go all the way up to this point. It's almost like at this point when he realizes that he's got the, the mantle. He's, he needs to be more careful because even though he thought little of himself before this point, he realizes at this moment that his words matter, that his position matters. And we're often promoted faster than we expect. We're often promoted faster than we expect. It's almost like the years that we're waiting, like, God, help me. To, uh, I, want, I really want this to happen. I need to elevate, blah, blah, blah. When the promotion does come, it seems like it comes faster than we, we realize. And it takes a minute for us to catch up. People recognize 
our promotion faster than we recognize it ourselves. Because of our innate fear of responsibility, we typically think little of ourselves and the effects of our words and actions. But even if we're still catching up, it doesn't erase what we've done or said. You must take yourself and your role seriously. You matter more than you realize. I think it's, it's really clearly seen in a parental role. It's like, I remember the, the first moment where I, I had uh, given one of my kids a pow pow or something, or I did something to discipline them and I remember thinking like, oh my God, like I could actually mess my kid up. Like I, I thought, I think about all the people I've counseled with their issues with their parents. I'm like, oh my gosh, now I'm a parent. This is a big responsibility. If I say something the wrong way, it, they could take it with them the rest of their lives and I wouldn't even realize it. And even when I was a, a youth pastor, I made plenty of mistakes. And the biggest mistakes I made was when I hurt somebody unintentionally. And there was nothing I could do to erase it. And even though others could have done the exact same thing that I did, it was different because I was the youth pastor. Y'all feel what I'm saying? Even as a pastor now, I, I still learn I can't react the same way that other people react. Years ago, when, when I was still early on in my role, Road rage was like a, man, normal thing for me. <laughs> was, I, I had all the aggression of my youth still with me. And there's been, there were plenty of times where someone, you know, there's exchange on the road. And I never cussed at anyone or flicked anyone off or anything like that. But I did open my door a couple times ready to throw hands. <laughs> they, they drove off, luckily. But I remember I told Lauren, like, all flustered and, uh, aggravated, like, yeah, they drove off. And she's like, you're a pastor. You can't do that. Yeah, well, they shouldn't have done that. Yeah, but you're a pastor. You can't do that. What if they were to ever come to church and you're the guy that tried to fight them? And I was like, you're, they'll, never, they'll never come. <laughs> that won't happen. It, but the reality is, the people, uh, it's even when it comes to our, our Christian influence, Every Christian is called to be a minister in some way. It doesn't mean that every Christian is called to be a pastor or a teacher or anything like that. But we minister in the way that we live and the way that we treat others. And there's so many people in our world that are offended at Christ because of the way a Christian behaved. Whenever I invite people to church, that's the number one thing that I hear is that they were hurt by church people. They were hurt by church people. And we were supposed to be like the most loving people in the world, right? And the church does love people really well, but we, we also do the opposite. And it comes down to an individual level of recognizing, I don't want to stifle this person's relationship with God because I'm having a bad day, because I'm upset. They, their soul matters more than how I feel right now. Y'all feel that? It, that's a weight that comes with being, becoming a Christian. A weight that we need to carry. When Jesus says, take up your cross daily, he, he's not talking about just killing yourself and being, having so much self-control that you become this 
this anomaly of holiness. It's talking about the crate, the, the cross, the weight of it is sacrificial, is less of me and more of God, less of me and more of, of others. It's a sacrificial responsibility to put Jesus first in our life, even when it comes to our offense of others. Y'all dig what I'm saying? Our position as Christians matter. Our words as Christians matter. And especially that, that trend follows all throughout our secular world in our, our career paths, our relationships, what we say matters. So that leads us into our, our last point, and that is different kind of prayers. Those were, those were the mistakes of Elisha. And like I said, doesn't have many, but those, the ones that he had were early on, and we see it, and we can really learn. Don't just think, well, he's a prophet. He's an important person. Remember, you matter more than you realize. I want us to look at what made Elisha different, different kind of prayers. The difference between pretty prayers and powerful prayers is a person's lifestyle. I don't know why that didn't appear on there, but <laughs> the difference between pretty prayers and powerful prayers is a person's lifestyle. Have anyone here ever heard that verse that says, the prayers of a righteous person produces wonderful results? L let me share the, the verses right before that. In James 5 Verses 16 through 18 says, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayers of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was a human as we are. And yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and earth began to yield its crops. It uses Elijah... Elisha's mentor as a reference to this idea of the prayers of a righteous person produces power and wonderful results. And I want to, I really want to share this idea in an articulate way because I want to provoke you to pray more, believing that God will answer your prayers. But I want you to also take away that at the end of the day, if you are going through a storm and you needed prayer, you just needed it from some, for somebody to pray for you. Would you rather someone who you know is devoted to God to pray for you or someone that lives just a normal, ordinary lifestyle to pray for you? The, the Christian answer is both, right? But what I've found that even when we know that God hears all prayers, we, we also are aware that some people... Uh, almost have like highlighted prayers because of their devotion to God in their lives. And the way that I find it is that God listens to all prayers, but the difference is an ordinary person living just a normal lifestyle like everybody else, when they pray, they're peeking through the veil of the Holy of Holies. They're, they're peeking into God's presence. But pers a person that is devoted in their life, in their lifestyle, they live inside the veil. They live inside of God's presence. It makes me think of like a gun holster. 
a, a leather gun holster is really uh, is really unique because when you first get a, a leather gun holster, it's very firm and it doesn't it's not malleable very much. In fact, if if you even got it fitted to the exact kind of gun you have, it is difficult to to holster and take out. You actually have to do it like 50 times plus for it to actually become smooth and to fit into the round into the actual holster. But when you when you live uh, that's why I feel like God's presence is a lot like that gun holster because if you were to never use that gun holster and actually need it and draw draw your gun from it, it's going to be clanky. You're going to be hesitant because you're not used to it. It's not going to be smooth. It's going to be like your first time. But someone that just is normal to that kind of lifestyle, they can just draw and, and do it so smoothly like liquid. It's just a it's just a smooth exchange of what they're used to, what they what they've trained themselves to do. It, they're not hesitant. They're comfortable with how they pray, with how they talk. It, that's that's what it's like uh, when it comes to being in the presence of God and just stepping in and out of the presence of God. You just simply are... It, it's a difference of feeling new to the experience to feeling comfortable to the experience. You know how the presence of God operates. So you're able to just speak in a way, pray in a way, or access that power in a different way than when we, when we live just ordinary lifestyles. Y'all feel what I'm trying to say behind this? And so, again, this was a, I, I was really trying to find an articulate way to, some of y'all look at me like, so you're promoting gun violence. <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, I'm, I'm truly just trying to, to express the idea that, the, that prayers are powerful in that way. Prayers are a powerful tool that, mo that most Christians don't access until they need it most. And it's in those moments where we're clumsy, we fumble around, we don't know what we're doing, we're just hoping that it all works out. But when you... When you live the, a righteous lifestyle to where you're pursuing God, you're, you're intentionally trying to devote your life and your livelihood to God in the way that you talk, the way that you act. I mean, it follows you even in your jobs and your homes. It's not just a one-day experience. When you live like that, you're, you're preparing that power to be always ready at hand, comfortable. And so... All that being said, I want us to, to bow our heads and close our eyes. And we talked about a lot of ideas with Elisha. We talked about how in the same way he did, we do. When it, we question our calling, even when it slaps us in the face. We often think so little of ourselves and don't realize the impact that we're making. And if we want to pray like Elisha did, if we want to see the power of God in our lives, then we need to live lives that reflect that. If you're here today and at any moment of this message, you just feel like your heart is being called to a deeper place with God. In fact, if you're listening to this and you just 
know that you need to make a decision to, to really stop playing games with God and be serious with Him. So often in life we just flirt with our Creator and we never commit to Him. And if you're ready to make a real decision today to make Jesus your Lord, your Savior, to just enter in this relationship with God with every head bowed and eye closed, I want you to just raise your hand. I see your hands. The Bible says in the book of Romans that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is who he said he is, that he's the son of God that died on the cross and rose from the dead, surely you shall be saved. What that scripture is saying is that if you talk to God and acknowledge this gift of salvation that he offers to us, to you, acknowledge who he is, that that is all it takes to start a relationship with Him, to, to speak it to Him, to talk to Him, and to be authentic about it. And so just there to yourself, you don't even need me to lead you through a special prayer. This is a great moment for you to just talk to God as real as you can be. Tell Him what it is that you're wanting to do with Him Tell him all the feelings that you feel in this idea of a relationship with him. Even all your doubts, your insecurities, all those feelings of unworthiness, all these feelings that you're not good enough. All that comes within our relationship with God that so many of us feel. Express that to him and say, but I need you. I know that I need you. And I believe that you took my place on the cross that you paid for my sins and I want you to be my savior. I need you. Have that kind of conversation with him right now. And while people are doing that, if you're here and you feel like God is just calling you to walk into your calling, to walk in, in the kind of person you know he's called you to be, that might be being confident in all these places where you're, you were insecure in your role, whether it's as a parent, as a spouse, as a, in your career, all these different paths that we feel insecure. And you feel like God is just saying, you got this and you need to walk in your calling and be confident because I'm with you. And you feel like God is just asserting that to you and even telling you, reminding you about the taking your lifestyle with him seriously. If you feel like that is you, I want you to raise your hand. Amen. God, I pray that you just confirm what your spirit is saying, that you cause every person in this room to reflect and recognize that it is you who are ministering to them, not an ordinary person like me, that the Holy Spirit would make the power of God known to them, that they would feel your presence and truly experience a moment with you, I pray that you would solidify the decisions happening in this room, the choices that people are making, and that you finish what you start. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. In the same kind of seriousness and, and uh, reverent moment, I want us to go into a time of worship. Before we do, we're going to sign off online. Thank you guys for being a part. We love you. Have a good life. I hope you enjoyed the message today. If you did, there's a couple things that you could do to connect. 
First is to subscribe to our show so that the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. And second is if this ministry has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can click the link in the description or visit our website, gravetop.com, and you can give now. I'll see you next time on the Gravetop Church Podcast.